0: And one said, well, you know what? If you can't see it online, you have to be here to be here. You have to be here to see it, to experience it. And you know, I agree. It's much better to be here in person. So thank you again, everyone who is here today as we celebrated. And we're going to get into a time of the Word. I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 2. So I'm going to have to go to my notes and go to the express version of this message uh, for today. So I'm going to say a quick word of prayer just to dial in from the fun time of the game into time of uh, preaching here. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us. Lord, in this time of celebration, we're mindful of how you bless us. You guide us by your word. Father, I ask by your Holy Spirit... That that which we would take away from this instruction from your word, that we would take it and be deposited into our spirit, that we would live by it, mold our life after it, that we would honor you and follow you with everything that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many here like a good party? Parties are fine. I mean, we're having a party today. Parties are great, right? Weddings are one of those parties, I think many of us would say, yeah, I love a good wedding. There's something different, right? There's this buzz in the air, not just with the bride and groom, but everyone. Everyone's excited, because at least, you know, in today's day and age, when you go to a wedding, there's going to be party favors. There's going to be drinks, there's going to be food, there might be those wonderful appetizers, you know, all your favorite snacks, maybe. You get to see family and friends, and it's something to receive that invitation. Like you, I've received throughout my young life invitations to weddings. Not as many as I would like to receive, but I've received some, and they're fun celebrations. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege to officiate uh, a friend of mine's wedding up in uh, Port Perry, and it was a wonderful time to celebrate their union and to see the joy on people's faces. Even some even saying, I'm, I'm amazed you guys, you know, you got married, you got it done, this is awesome. There's always something that happens at weddings. Today, as we look to John chapter 2, we're going to see that Jesus and his disciples have been invited to a wedding. And at this wedding, they're seeing that there's a time of celebration. There's a lot going on, but there's something that we're going to hone in in here today that we really want to celebrate. It's the reason why we're here this afternoon. We celebrate the immediate manifestation presence that is in the face of Christ. That where Christ is, there his Father is also. His presence is with him. And so we're going to go to John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. "'My hour has not yet come. "'Do whatever he tells you,' his mother told the servants. "'Now six stone jars had been set there for Jewish purification. "'Each contained twenty or thirty gallons. "'He says, "'Fill the jars with water.' "'So they filled them to the brim. "'Then he said to them, "'Now draw some out and take it to the head waiter.' "'And they did.' When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants had drawn the water new, he called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now." And Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they stayed there only a few days. So, like me, you're, you know, you listen to this passage, and I'm sure there's things that have jumped out at you. There's things that have popped out, and you might be thinking, well, I totally know where Pastor Angel is gonna to go today. He's gonna, to we're gonna see. We're gonna see how dial in you are this afternoon. But first, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a background. So here we are in Cana in the region of Galilee, and this is really important. You know, writers, especially in the Gospels, they didn't mention details just haphazardly, there was a purpose. We see that Jesus and his mother and the disciples, they've been invited, and it was customary for everyone within the region, the village really, to be invited to the wedding, to celebrate with the bride and groom, and to enjoy the festivities. Now, unlike today, did you know this? That in that time, the wedding could last three days. Three days could you imagine the cost of a wedding running for three days? I remember the cost of my own wedding. I'm sure Megan's parents and my own folks remember the cost of that day, and a beautiful day that it was. But three? Would you let it go on for three days, Ron? <laughs> no way! Three days! So here we have, and you know what? I'm glad you shook your head, Ron, because not only would it have been a costly but, you know, fun celebration, the bridegroom and his family would be responsible for the tab, for the food and drink. Somewhere along the line, the bridegroom family thought, well, that's a raw deal. We're going to give that to the bride's family. I don't know how that happened, but anyway. So here in this story, the bridegroom and the family are on the hook, and rightfully so, Mary notices, "Uh uh-oh, they've ran out of wine. That's not good. She goes to Jesus because she realizes, in many words, that their reputation is now on the line. How could we run out of wine this quickly? And so she comes to Jesus with urgency. Remember, they want to make it right through the finish line. Although it's the third day, they're not quite at the finish line. And so she comes to him and Jesus says, well, what does that have to do with you and me? I just want to park there for a moment how I deeply appreciate Mary's urgency. Urgency to come to the one that she knew could change everything. She knew with just one word from Jesus the situation would be turned around. She had faith. She had faith. So look here at verse 3 again. It says, When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, or, sorry, Jesus came and said to her, Mother, what does this have to do with you and I? My hour has not yet come. So, here's on the flip side maybe mothers in the house are thinking, Wow, Jesus, that was kind of harsh. That was maybe a little rude. How could you say that to your mom? Like, Woman, what does that have to do with you and me? <laughs> Woman. The other translations don't, you know, mention it as harshly, but there's a reason for it. It says here, it emphasizes that he says, my hour has not yet come. And as I was reading this, I realized how important that key word was, hour, my hour has not yet come. When you pour over scripture, it says very clear that one point after Jesus had come to the culmination of his earthly ministry, he said, now my hour has come to depart this world and go to my Father but the hour had not yet arrived and yet because of the urgency of the mother coming to Christ who she knew could change everything he moved in and made a difference but look what he says here both the hour in John 8:29 the writer of this gospel writes the one who sent me is with me he has not left me alone because i always do what pleases him John 5:30 I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Remember, Jesus says, hey, my nourishment, guys, is not the food and water that you partake, but comes from doing the will of my Father who sent me. He was on a mission. He was poised to accomplish what he is sent there to do. Jesus wasn't there to do party favors. Hey, Jesus, can you walk on water? Hey, Jesus, could you come and raise the dead? Hey, Jesus. Which he could, but that's not why he was there. In John chapter 13, that's where things change. The writer of this account says, but then the hour arrived for Jesus to depart. In John chapter 17, verse one, it says this, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. So the Son may glorify you. Just after he had baptized or washed, sorry, washed the feet of his disciples, after the last supper they had together, as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying for believers, he says, Now, Father, the hour has come. And nonetheless, Jesus gets involved right at the wedding, which is a sign for us. That's why John is showing us this right here at the beginning of the story. He says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. And verse 11 says, the sign of turning water to wine happened so that people would know his glory. It says here in verse 11, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, to reveal his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is all part of a plan and purpose to show and fulfill the prophecies. I found this very encouraging as I was reading and going back just to chapter 1. So we're going to take a little bit of a flashback to chapter 1, and we see, as I've already mentioned, after the baptism, Jesus is calling his followers. He's naming his disciples. One of them is Andrew, and Andrew finds his brother, Simon Peter, and says, You have to come meet the Messiah. And then Philip, who was called by Simon Peter, ends up calling out to Nathanael, he says, to come and meet the Messiah. Come and see. It's all happening in John chapter 1. And Nathanael gives this skeptical type of statement in verse 46. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I love what Philip says, come and see. Don't just write them off. Come and see. Come and see. And you could just imagine because Nathaniel, just like the other Israelites, they've been waiting for the Messiah to come, someone that would be full of stature. Coming not from an insignificant place, but from a place of significance, a line of royalty, a place of prominence like the palace not a lowly place like Nazareth in the region of Galilee. The reason why John mentions this is because people held such a low regard for that region. It's like if people were saying like, oh, you don't live in Norfolk County, do you? I'm sorry for you, I, I live in Halton. But here you can imagine Nathaniel's thinking, are you kidding me? This is who our Messiah is? is, where he's coming from? Are you sure you've got this all figured out? Are you sure? How could he come from Nazareth? And so in verse 45, Philip tells Nathanael, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. You know, in many respects, Philip saw, he was able to see on the face of Christ who Jesus was. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You have to love how he says, come and see. For me, this hits home. is because we want people to know about a relationship with Jesus. And yet, really, you can't fully experience Christ until you know him for yourself. You need to have that personal relationship. In many respects, Philip's calling out to Nathaniel, come and see, meet him, know him for yourself. And he again, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the reason, again, John is, is inferring, referring to the prophecies in reference in Isaiah 53, that this Messiah will be despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. So here at this wedding, this place of a celebration, on front-center scene, Jesus is able to show, yes, from Nazareth, something good is happening. Yes, something great has happened. Wonderful, majestic even. From him, Jesus, the Christ, the one in whom the glory of God rests, has appeared on the scene. We're told in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, that the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This sign, this turning of water into bubbling wine, solidified, referred to this prophecy of who the Messiah was. And so here, Nathanael very quickly, you know, he changes his tune. Go to verse 46, it says, or 47, that Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Jesus answered, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Look at Nathanael's response. You are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Look what Jesus says. Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, and remember this part, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here this is being fulfilled in a very short time on the third day, on a a three-day journey from the time when Jesus was baptized to this moment of the wedding feast. Now this sign has appeared that Christ the Messiah, he is here and the signs prove who he is. And at the command of Jesus, he said to take these jars to fill them and they were turned into bubbling wine. Can't help but make me think that in these festivities, in these places and activities in life, what God can do in those moments. What activities can God step into and make his mark upon? He can reach into our life. He can transform us. He can mold and move even that which seems impossible. How many of you believe that today? from water to bubbling wine. Jesus says this in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing deep within him. And he said this about the Spirit... Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Think about this wonderful promise of spiritual life. You and I, because we believe in Jesus, we've been marked with the promised Holy Spirit. And within us, this bubbling effect begins to happen. This bubbling within our spirits changing us, transforming us. And you realize Up to this point, up until this very moment in time, it was at the temple where heaven and earth intersected. It was at the temple where heaven collided with earth and the people of God. But now Jesus is showing the people things are about to change. It's not going to be about a place of brick and mortar. Rather, my spirit is going to dwell within you, and you're going to experience the reality of the kingdom of heaven within your life. This gives me tremendous hope because no matter where you go, if you're in a war-torn country, in a place where you have to go underground, you don't have to meet in a place like this to experience and encounter the presence of God. He's with you wherever you go, bubbling and bubbling and bubbling up. But Jesus had to work through this transition from the old system to the new system. This is what these jars of water are showing us. Look what he says in John 1 50-51. Just we looked at a few moments ago. He said to Nathanael, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than this. Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That, here's that promise that's being shown as he fulfills this sign of turning water into wine. Now, scholars will show and say, I mean, this is significant. A lot of people will say, well, this didn't really happen. It was more just figurative. But I'm thankful to say and report to you that many scholars will say, no, we do believe this did in fact happen. It was more than symbolic, and yet it does point to important reference of Jesus transforming us, taking us through from the old to the law, the old covenant to the new covenant. But what I want to leave with you here today is that in Jesus, nothing was held back. Nothing. He provided the very best so that heaven and earth could intersect. Look what the head waiter says. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit blowing here and there, as the scripture says, we don't know where it comes from, and we don't know where it goes. But through the servants who had drawn the water knew, and he called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Through the heavenly father, his son held nothing back. That like this wedding that was happening on the third day, after the third day, after being on the cross, crucified and laid in a tomb, on the third day, Jesus was resurrected to newness of life. Sealing the deal that you and I could experience that bubbling from now and forevermore. This all is what's happening in this account, this story, the first sign in a so-called insignificant place by an insignificant person from Nazareth. And yet through him, heaven and earth were connected. Imagine what the people in those days felt like. We no longer have to go to the temple to experience the presence of God. We're going to go to Hebrews 9, 24 for just a few moments. It says this, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the age for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once... And after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting for him? What a celebration that the people of this wedding were seeing glimpses, they're seeing signs, and if they had faith like Nathaniel, they were able to see this thing being rolled out in front of them. But here we have the benefit, this side of Scripture, this side of the resurrection, understand, my goodness, that's what this story is pointing towards. This newness of life, this divine exchange, where we now become the temple of the living God. When we're worshiping, when we're singing those songs, as we're told in 2 Corinthians 6.16, that you are the temple of the living God. God says this about you. I will dwell and walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. Think about this from the story, from this wedding event. I'm deeply encouraged by this. I never saw this before quite like this. From this wedding event, we're invited, like an invitation to the wedding, we're moved by the author John to have faith like Nathaniel, to see, just a little bit of faith to see. We're then moved and invited to have urgency like Mary to go to the source of life, go to Jesus who can transform and change anything. I'm telling you, if you have friends who don't believe that God can still move today, I'm not saying you should discard them, but you should tune them out of your mind and focus on what the Holy Spirit would say to you. If you believe that God can still heal, amen. Pray for people and believe that they can recover. He then invites us to have celebratory hearts like the servant. Again, he says, my goodness, usually you have the best wine first and then you serve the inferior as we proceed. But you saved the best for last. Think what that means for you today. Jesus didn't hold out on you. He didn't hold out on me. He saved the very best. That was his life. He poured it out willfully so that you and I could experience that newness, that bubbling that we've been talking about. And just like the people in Cana at this wedding festivity saw the glory of God in their midst, you and I are able to see the glory of God and how he intersects in all the activities in our daily lives so in closing, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And just for a few moments, to reiterate that this story, this event, is your invitation. It's an invitation to experience life evermore, life to the full that we're told in John 10.10. 10. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, But I have come, this is Jesus, I have come that you will have life and life to the full. Here's a quote. Um, I'm not sure if I heard it somewhere. I don't think I have. Um, but I thought of this as reading through this passage, that as we open ourselves up to this new life in Christ by way of faith, we run the risk of being transformed. As we give our life to faith in Christ, we run the risk of being transformed. I really believe deep down that he gives us eyes to see his glory. He transforms us. He stirs the pot, if you will. How many of you would say when you came to Jesus that your life is exactly the same as day one? Just think on the third day of this wedding, look what Jesus accomplished. In your life, think back. Think about the interactions, how he's moved in and through your life. He's worked wonders. He's worked signs and miracles in your life. I can testify how he's moved, how he's led me out of, in and through circumstances. My God, I don't even know how I would have done it on my own. Probably would have buckled under the pressure. But I really believe as a takeaway point that this story shows us outside of the invitation Outside the example of Nathaniel and Mary and even the servant is showing us here this afternoon that there's no activity outside of the concern of God. Nothing. Whatever you're going through, you can bring those shortcomings. You can bring those times of celebration, but you bet you can bring those concerns. You can bring those disappointments. You can bring those heartaches because he's going to come, he's going to restore, he's going to reconcile, he's going to heal by the power of his Holy Spirit. And all we have to do is have a little bit of faith. Like Mary said to the servants, she had that faith. She says, do whatever he tells you. So I'm going to invite you just for a few moments as the worship team plays in this place of, you know, comfort. If you feel comfortable closing your eyes to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you today, to move upon your heart. That he would move, he would transform in the ways that we know he can. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you made it possible for us not only to be reconciled to our Father, but Lord, we could experience the glory of heaven, the reality of heaven, your kingdom here and now. We know, Lord, we see in it partly even dimly as the scripture says, but Lord, we know it's breaking forth even here and now. And through your church, through your servants, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, that you're moving in our midst. You continue to work signs. You work in the events and activities of our life because you're concerned with every part of our life. Father, I thank you that in you, there is fullness of joy. In you, there is resurrection life. Lord, we speak to those shortcomings. We speak to those failures. We even speak to those missteps, even those who are even maybe facing consequence for decisions made. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that that's not the end of their story, but Lord Jesus, that you're bringing through, that you're faithful to bring them through the work that you have begun in their life. Lord, I thank you, You teach us through all these circumstances, especially as we read your word, Lord, you mold us. You motivate us to follow after you. Lord, may we be like the servant to see, have eyes to see, Lord, that you have given us the very best. You did not hold back. When we put our faith in you, Lord, you transform us. You move mountains. When you walk into the room, everything changes. And so as the worship team plays, I'd invite you just to do one simple thing. Would you say, Lord Jesus, would you walk into my room? Walk into my room, lead me in the way of fullness of life. And you know what? He's gonna do it because he's already working behind the scenes. Imagine what he's going to do as you move forward. And in the life of this church, in one year, look what he's done. Imagine what will be next year and in the years to come. Amen? Let's sing this song together. Thank you, Jesus. celebrate you God you are so good you open blind eyes you open deaf ears you make the lame walk you even raise the dead and you lead us in resurrection life lord i thank you for this place i thank you for those who are here today and watching also lord i thank you for your tremendous blessing the promise of your word that when we invite you into our space the activities in our life even the impossible is made possible just by your word just by your touch as we invite you into our spaces into our places, into our family units would you move? Would you act? Father we think of those, even our children, maybe Lord have wandered away from you. Father I pray Lord and thank you for your promise that when they're raised and trained up in the way they should go, that when they're old they will not depart. Lord we pray Lord for a homecoming if there has been some waywardness if there's been some, you know, walking off the beaten path Lord, that there would be a homecoming for them and your mighty name. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you still work miracles today. Lord, would you work a miracle even in our county, in people's lives, that they would encounter you, the living God, that they would know you and say, my God, like Nathaniel, my God and Savior my king, my rabbi. We thank you, Lord, that you work through us. Lord, give us boldness to speak your word. Give us boldness to stand in faith even when we face obstacles. We celebrate you. We celebrate who you are and what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for this tremendous year that we've had. And Lord, we ask for many more as we're used by you, Lord, to reach into this community and the surrounding area for your Like Jesus was shown to reveal your glory, would your glory, your manifest presence be revealed in and through each of our lives in Jesus name. And if you're in agreement, I invite you to say, amen. Amen. One year, bro.